0: Thank you. Jeremiah chapter, we can turn those lights on. Hey guys, can we turn, yeah. Chapter 21, thank you. So on Monday night I let the guys know at our men's gathering, the guys that were there, that... um, Our next men's breakaway, so like we did last year down at Calvary Chapel South. It's scheduled for March, I believe it's the 18th, so it's a Saturday. Um, But I just wanted to kind of get an idea, men, if you would be into going or not. Last year we made it really easy. Um, We had a bus, we had lunch, Your breakfast was covered. So it was easy. All you had to do is get on a bus and come. And this year, it doesn't look like we're going to be getting the bus. It looked like um, the the buses, in fact, we tried to rent a a larger kind of uh, chartered bus last year out of Bellingham. But those are not available this year. And so if you go, you're going to have to drive down yourself, carpool, and, kind of cover all that stuff so anyway on Sunday morning you'll see in the foyer there's a sign up sheet so if you still want to go to that we want you to go ahead and sign up and um, kind of make sure you do that because I have a zoom call next week with all of the pastors that are putting this together and we just want to kind of have an idea if there's not you know a real interest um, then maybe we'll do something else but we just have to We have to know. So just to kind of put that in your mind, remember that. So Jeremiah chapter 21, let's read a few verses, and then we'll pray once more. Beginning in chapter 21 and verse 1, it says, "...the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when King Zedekiah sent to him Pashor, the son of that guy, and Zephaniah, and he was the son of that other guy, the priest." saying, Please inquire of the Lord for us, for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Look at this. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to his wonderful works that the king may go away from us. Then Jeremiah said to them, Thus you shall say to Zedekiah, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands with which you fight against the king of Babylon and the Chaldeans who besiege you outside the walls. I will assemble them in the midst of the city. They're outside now, but they're coming in. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and with a strong arm, even in anger and fury and great wrath. I will strike the inhabitants of the city, both man and beast. They shall die of a great pestilence. And afterward, says the Lord, I will dec- I will deliver Zedekiah, king of Judah, his servants, and the people, and such as are left in the city from the pestilence and the sword and the famine into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So it's just going to go from bad to worse, he says. King of, the Babylon, uh, king of Babylon, into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. And he shall strike them with the edge of the sword. He shall spare not spare them or have pity or mercy. So, Father, we pray that once again as we open up the book of Jeremiah, we ask, Lord, for life application. Lord, as we're looking at these things that are historical from our uh, standpoint, they're not... Uh, necessarily prophetic and yet we could see some prophetic uh, um, importance in them. We just pray, Father, that you would teach us from your word tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, guys, thus far in Jeremiah, Jeremiah has presented nine judgments against Judah. Now, Israel was included in some of those judgments, but primarily the judgments were directed toward um judah toward the southern tribe where where you know the temple was and everything else now i say jeremiah guys remember jeremiah was the prophet jeremiah in one sense was simply the spokesman this isn't jeremiah's opinion this isn't jeremiah's thoughts this is this is god's heart this is god's desire this is god's will and he's just simply communicating What the Lord gives him, now he communicates it to the people, and so, thus far in the book of Jeremiah, the judgments—you know—they've dealt with um, with their idolatry, of course, and their sin, and their greed, and their lack of justice, and all of these things. But it hasn't—the judgments haven't really been specific. We see a turning point when you get to chapter 21. Now it becomes very specific. And as you read through, if you read through the text, our text tonight, chapter 21 and chapter 22, you know that that the judgment that that Jeremiah is pronouncing is pronounced upon specifically the kings. (laughs) And so he starts, and it's out of chronological order because he starts with mention of king zedekiah king zedekiah was the last king in judah before the captivity so it starts with him the last one but then it speaks of some other kings that were before him i mentioned uh and i think that nate and i have both pointed out that it's difficult to study chronologically through the book of jeremiah because jeremiah is not really a chronologically ordered book in fact Many times, as you're going through Jeremiah, you'll read something, you'll read about an individual, and then you'll see later, like maybe, I'll try to point out some of those things, you'll find later in the book of Jeremiah that now here's for further detail, here's further information on this particular thing. For example, King Zedekiah. King Zedekiah, you know, judgment is pronounced against him. Why? Because you're the king, you're supposed to shepherd the flock. What does that mean? You're supposed to show justice. You're supposed to uphold the law. You're supposed to, you know, you're not you know, giving the people their whims, every anything that, you know, their hearts desire. That's not your job. That's not your position. But you're to make sure that in the land that there is order and there's righteousness and there's, you know, people are not just being oppressed all the time by, you know, others. And they weren't doing that. And as you go through the two chapters that we're looking at tonight, you know what we see? We see kings that were not concerned about governing the people, but they're concerned about their own interest, their own house. I want It's my life. It's me. It's about me. It's about me. And so the Lord deals with them accordingly. Now, guys, it's interesting as you go through this, And we see this um, mention of Pashor. So remember Pashor, Nate mentioned him last week in our two chapters. Pashor, he's the same Pashor who took Jeremiah and struck him and put him in stocks. Um, The same one who mistreated Jeremiah, if this is chronological, now is sent to Jeremiah to ask a favor. And the favor is, would you inquire of the Lord for us? Perhaps God will be merciful with us. So Jeremiah, come on, man, you know, you do your part. And and we're going to come back to this because I want to spend some time on this, but I want to make sure that we're able to cover uh, some of the other things. So judgment is coming, and... uh, And the Lord makes it clear in those first uh, few verses, seven verses that we've looked at, that, you know, the judgment is, it's a sealed deal. (laughs) You know, you guys aren't changing. You guys aren't repenting. You you guys aren't, you know, going to change your ways. It's a sealed deal. And though you may think, well, we'll just fight them off. You know, we've had many foes before. Israel had plenty of foes, didn't they? We've had many foes before, and we'll just fight them off. And the Lord makes it clear through Jeremiah. He says, listen, you need to understand, you're not fighting against the Babylonians. You're fighting against me. Because in this sense, the Babylonians have become my instrument of judgment on you. And so the very weapons in your hand are going to be turned against you. And you think of that, and you say, man, this is so heavy. And it is heavy. You know, when, when the Lord hands over his people because of their rebellion, you say, well, it's just not fair. It's not fair. Listen, if, if, if you have those feelings, if those feelings begin to kind of come up, those feelings are feelings of spiritual immaturity. I know because I remember thinking that way, feeling that way, when I would read different parts of the Old Testament. It's not fair. God's not fair. So you need to grow spiritually. You need to mature in your faith and your understanding. That comes from reading and studying and knowing the word of God. But as you grow in your understanding of the word of God, you understand that God blessed these people beyond all peoples. He had given them so many things. He saw to it that they had an heir of David sitting upon the throne of Judah Generation after generation after generation after generation. He was so faithful to do that for them. He sustained them. He kept them. He blessed them in so many ways. And how did they return? Well, of course, they turned their back on him over and over again. Generation after generation. Verse 8. Now you shall say to this people, thus says the Lord, Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who remains in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and defects to the Chaldeans, who besieges you, he shall live, and his life shall be a prize to him. This seems strange. Guys, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's not too many times you see God counseling his people to give up. not how it is give up yeah you in this case give up in this case to wag uh, wave the the white flag and to surrender you'll be better off than those who stand up and fight because this judgment is my judgment against you in one sense he could say for you to rebel against the babylonians you're rebelling against me I'm telling you what to do. I've sent my prophets to you. You know, Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet. I've sent my prophets to you. They're speaking the message. You don't heed them. You haven't heeded them. But I'm telling you, if you heed them, your life will be a prize to you. For I have set my face against this city for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. It shall be given into the hand of the king of of, of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. I'll tell you, I, I, I look at this, and, and I, now, you know, it's different. America is not, I mean, though we have the slogan, which is absolutely meaningless now, but America is not one nation under God. I mean, you know, that's all it is, if even that, the slogan, one nation after God. We are not a nation who seeks God. We are not a nation, we are a nation that's been blessed by God, Uh, you know, over since the the birth of this nation because of those who held to biblical truths and, and, you know, tried however they might have tried, you know. You can't really do it without the power of the Holy Spirit, but, but tried to, you know, live according to the dictates, the statutes of the Lord. But we're long past that. And, you know judgment is coming to America you say well how do you know how could you be so emphatic um, show me a verse show me a Bible verse well I'm so emphatic because there is no Bible verse you have you have a, a nation that is the supposedly and presently I mean it doesn't seem that way but the world power and yet we're not mentioned in the in the last days <laughs> We're we're not we're not seen we're not mentioned it's not there you say well yeah it's only dealing with those nations related to Israel well America has always been related to Israel so if we're going to be around and we're supposed to be a great nation that comes to Israel's aid surely we would be mentioned we'd be referred to in the scriptures but we're not and you know to whom God gives much he expects much and we've been given much as a nation now, it's not the same way. I mean, we don't have a, a king that's been ordained by God to sit upon a throne. We have presidents, and and I don't know that we've ever had a president who has truly sought the Lord. There's been many who claim to, but you don't even have to look that hard to find that they were mere men with human agendas, <laughs> and they were not looking to the word of God, you know, To be obedient to the heart of god we just haven't had that but i think of that when i look at this and concerning the house of the king of judah say hear the word verse 11 hear the word of the lord o house of david thus says the lord execute judgment in the morning see do the right thing that's what he's saying in essence he's saying listen do you remember what your calling is do you remember what your purpose is o king This is what you're supposed to do, you know. He says, deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor, lest my fury... So it's like, again, it's almost as if the Lord is saying, turn, turn, turn. If you don't, lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. We see the Lord over and over again. Do what's right. Do what's right. Do what's right. Do what's right. You know, we we look at our nation, and we could say, well, you know, I have no authority. I have no power over what happens in the White House or the the Senate. Or, you know, the <laughs> I, I have no I have no authority. Who am I? What can I do? But you know what, guys? If each individual was true to the convictions they claim to have, those who profess to be followers of Christ. Think of the difference that you could make maybe on a local level. But I think too often, you know, even in the church, there's this waffling, there's this this, you know, compromise when it comes to things that are biblically clear. You know, when you look at the church today and many of the churches today, many churches in our own community, you know, oh Dan, don't go there. Many churches in our own community wake up to the fact that many of the churches in our own community endorse same-sex marriage. Many of them. I'm not talking about the obvious one, the Episcopal Church up the street here. I'm talking about many of them have embraced this. How, what's happened? How could they do that? Who gives them the right to change God's word when it comes to, you know, and we have all these slogans today, you know, You know, you just got to love. People love who they love, you know, and, and these types of things. Many of the churches, many of the leaders within many of the churches, even in our small community, have no strong convictions about abortion, so the sanctity of life... You know, it's the convenience of the woman, and who am I to say? And if you don't have a uterus, you don't ha- have a say. And all of these different silly, silly slogans that people throw out. And the ignorant and immature in their faith believer says, oh, that sounds logical <laughs> to me. Live and let live, after all. Who, who said that? It had to have been someone important, you know. And I'll tell you guys what we're seeing these judgments and these, there there's a parallel our nation and other nations of the world are going to be judged by the lord because we are not not upholding we are not i mean on the basic things you know what we don't vote for pastors to sit in the white house do we we don't the presidents we we don't but but I'll tell you when a nation no longer values human human life, either in the womb or, you know, in the convalescent home. Or, um, I think I was thinking just the other day, we have in our little community. I like to emphasize that because we live in this dinky little community. In this little community, we have folks that um, once a month or whatever they go down to the corner Beeksma Park down there and they set up their flags. The next time you drive by there and they have all their flags there and you know Black Lives Matter and their gay pride parade and all of these things, I want you to note the pedophile flag that they have up there. So you okay with that? You okay with pedophilia? Because they have it up. It's the two blue stripes, the two pink stripes and the, the different colors. Look at it the next time you drive by. And many times people, they just they just kind of eat the rhetoric and the, the, the program of the world rather than saying, wait a minute now. Put the brakes on here. You know, maybe we shouldn't wave to them when we drive by. Don't scream at them either. Pray for them. Behold, I am against you, O inhabitants of the valley and rock of the plain, says the Lord, who say... Who shall come down against us? See, this was their attitude. Who's going to come? You know, you send the prophets, doom and gloom. Who's going to come against us? We're not going to cease to exist. We're not going anywhere. I mean, you think of this. To have that attitude toward God. It is arrogance. It is the epitome of arrogance. And, And it says... Uh, let's see Uh, did I oh my page slipped I thought where in the world am I I'm I'm at the end of my text and I haven't my page went over so who shall uh, uh, come down against us or who shall enter our dwelling but I will punish say again this is the Lord speaking I will punish you according to the fruit of your doings Says the Lord, I will kindle a fire in its, for- in its forest, and it shall devour all things around it. So chapter 22, thus says the Lord God, go down to the house of the king of Judah, and there speak the word, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David. Again, there's this reminder. Remember, guys, biblically speaking, David was always the standard. David, David, David. Do you guys understand why David stands as a biblical hero and a biblical standard? I think some people, they don't think, they say, but David messed up he had an innocent man murdered so that he could take his wife and he you know committed adultery and all of these things even at the end of his life you know he has this young gal come in to keep him warm you know i mean what's up with that you know and guys listen it's the heart It's the attitude, it's the repentance, it's the taking your lumps when when the Lord's judgment is upon you rather than shaking your fist and saying, why are you doing this to me, God? It's that humility of I brought this upon myself. I did this to my family. I've got a son from one marriage in love with a daughter from another marriage and he rapes her. And David says, I brought this upon my family. Now, he's not solely responsible for, for the actions of, you know, each individual is responsible for their own actions. But David knew that he was bringing these things upon himself. But we see this humility. We see this brokenness. We see this coming before the Lord in repentance and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. We see him really, you know, Lord, what, whatever, whatever you choose to do is right. Whatever judgment you might bring upon me, it's right. And there's a difference. And that's where we need to be careful when we read the scriptures because sometimes, like we'll come back to this, you know, uh, Pasher, go ask Jeremiah to pray that the Lord might be merciful to us. We'll come back to that. There's a prototype that they had. There was something in their mind that they were thinking about. We'll come back to that in, in a few moments here. But you need to look at the details. So it says, and say, verse 2, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, you who sit on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter your gates. Thus says the Lord, execute judgment and righteousness. Again, do what's right. Do what's right. And and uh, uh, And deliver the plunder out of the hand of the oppressor. Do no wrong, and do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, or the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if, look at, for if you indeed do this thing, then shall, uh, then shall enter the gates of this house, riding on horses and in chariots, accompanied by servants and people, kings who sit on the throne of David, but if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, says the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the the parent, I don't know. You know, we're all raised in different generations, you know. And now, you know, boy, I just I don't even want to touch on the topic because you talk about um, disciplining the child and, and some parents, modern parents, you know, Uh, You know, there's this strange thin line (laughs) of, you know, disciplining and abuse. But uh, my generation, I remember my father, my mother saying something like, this hurts me more than it hurts you. And you're thinking, I don't know about that, you know. But in one sense, you know, it's almost as if our Heavenly Father was saying to Israel, you know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I, I don't want to make this place a desolation. I don't want to cease the kings from sitting upon the throne of Israel, of Judah. I don't want people to cease entering these gates to the temple and, and, and worshiping here and, and Israel being a light to the nations and all. I don't want that. For thus says the Lord, verse six, to the house of the king of Judah, You are Gilead to me, the head of Lebanon. Yet, I surely will make you a wilderness, cities which are not inhabited. I will prepare destroyers against you, everyone with his weapons. They shall cut down your choice cedars and cast them in the fire. You know what this is believed to be referring to? Remember in the temple, guys, and not just the temple, but also the palace of the king. The palace of the king. Do you remember what the palace of the king was called? The forest of Lebanon. You can only imagine what it must have been like. You know, we think of the, you, we read about the cedars of Lebanon. Um, I've never seen a forest in Lebanon, it's long gone. But, I, but for the Bible, when the Bible speaks of the cedars of Lebanon, you know, it uses the cedar many times as something that's strong and, and towering into the sky. Have you guys ever been to the uh, California Redwoods? It's, oh man, it's magnificent. You know, I remember as a kid driving our, uh, our Mustang. 65 Mustang with a little Apache trailer on the back of it, driving it through the middle of a giant redwood tree, you know. I have a picture of my father and I. We're standing by this giant redwood tree. It's it's on its side. It's been cut down, and it's towering over my dad, and he kind of propped me up on the, on the top of this, you know, thing. Again, it's on its side. Magnificent. I think of the cedars of lebanon i wonder if it was magnificent like that mm-hmm. but we know that when the temple was built remember the the the, the beams of the cedar were were brought down from uh, lebanon in fact those were gathered when david was still alive do you guys remember that mm-hmm. i mean david was so into building the house of the lord that he started getting materials and everything else he was never able to build it But when Solomon, you know, was able to build it, there were a lot of things that were already there that David had brought to the land in preparation. And so the picture here is this. O King, because remember the judgment is specific to the king. You live in your forest of Lebanon. You need to understand the enemy's coming and the beams in your very house will be cut down and cast into the fire. Now you say, why would that be significant? Because as we read on, you'll see that the kings were so into their own house. It's kind of all, I just, I want it bigger, I want this, I want it spacious, I want windows, I want, you know, I want all of these different things because it's all about their their place, their pad, you know? And... Um, and so the Lord says, you know, I'm going I'm to hit you where it hurts. You're so concerned about your home, O king. You need to understand that the very cedars that hold up <laughs> the, the, the roof of your house will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And many nations, verse 8, will pass by this city, and everyone will say to his neighbor, Why has the Lord, look at this, not why has the Babylonians, why has the Lord done so to this great city? Then they will answer, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods serving them. He says, weep not for the dead, nor mourn him who weeps bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native country. So then it goes on and it speaks of Salom, who is Jehoahaz, king. And so the Lord speaks judgment against him. Look at verse 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his chambers by injustice, who uses his neighbor's service without wages. So he speaks against that king. And then verse 18 Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Israel. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, my sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, master, or alas, uh, his glory. He shall be uh, buried with the burial of a donkey. What is that? Cast out. Dragged and cast out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. That's what they do to a donkey, to a, uh, an animal. They just drag it out of the city and let it rot there. Again, this is, you know, you kind of think, well, you know, what difference does it make? He's dead. Does not even matter? It was a big deal not to have a proper burial. You're the king of Israel, and, and you're not going to receive a proper burial because of your sin, because of the injustice, because you would not... Do the things that the Lord has called you to do. You get to verse 24, another king, uh Koniah or Jeconiah or Jehoiakim. You say, what do you mean? Or, or these different names, it's all speaking of the same person, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet of my right hand. See again, God's saying, I, I, I loved you. I love you. Yet I would pluck you off and I will give you into the hand of those who seek your life and into the hand of those whose face you fear and the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Now the king before this that I mentioned, he went into captivity, but not into Babylonian captivity, he went into Egyptian captivity. So this king, he's saying, well, you're going to go into Babylonian captivity. I believe that he only reigned for like three months. I think that was his re- Short little reign, you know, uh, before things began to fall apart. Verse 26, So I will cast you out and your mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and you shall die. But to the land to which they desire to return, they shall not return. So these judgments, these judgments, these judgments against the kings. Turn to verse 29. O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. Now guys, we need to understand what's being communicated here. Well, let me read the rest of it and then I'll come back to A man who shall not prosper in his days, for none of his descendants shall prosper, sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Count this man, count this king as childless. What does that mean? It's in, it's done. The succession, this line, the line of David, broken. Done. Done. No more kings. Now, as I say that, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about another king? In fact, Nate will share that other king with us next week in the next chapter, the king of righteousness. What about King Jesus? Do you guys know, when you look at the genealogies, you have the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew, you have the genealogy of Jesus in Luke. In Matthew, the genealogy is through Joseph. Joseph was not a blood relative of Jesus at all. There was no DNA (laughs) that they shared. Um, In Luke's gospel, uh, the genealogy goes through Mary. Obviously, they shared DNA. Here's the thing. Had Jesus been a physical descendant of Joseph he would have been disqualified to sit upon the throne to be a king in Israel. Guys, here, here we are in Jeremiah. We're looking at you. Say, well, it's not prophecy, but it's speaking prophetically of something. And so you have these things, and you say, well, oh wow, wow, it's cut off. This is it. This is it's over. You know, and and um, and yet, guys, we look at the virgin birth. We look at. How Jesus was born. We look at all of these things and we say, you know what? Jesus was not under this curse that's spoken of right here concerning the kings of Israel. He's not under that because of his virgin birth. So that's good to know. Well, let's go back to that text that I (laughs) keep referring to. Jeremiah chapter 21 Verse 2, please inquire of the Lord for us. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, makes war against us. Perhaps the Lord will deal with us according to his wonderful works that the king may go away from us. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds so simplistic, but, but I, I, I guarantee you that they had something in mind. They no doubt were thinking of another king that sat upon the throne. They're thinking of King Hezekiah. It wasn't the Babylonians, it was the Assyrians. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. He sends his filled commander to blaspheme the Lord, Yahweh. And to speak to Israel and Hezekiah, you know, Judah... And say, listen, this is what we're going to do. And, and he just kind of mocks him. He says, no, don't think that you're going to call upon your Lord. Don't think that he's going to help you. This is where the blasphemy was, you know. And and he kind of lays this out. And, you know, they're outgunned. They're outnumbered. You know, it, it looked like a, a bad thing. 2 Kings. Turn there, if you would. 2 Kings chapter 19. We'll look at a few scriptures here. So King Hezekiah, you know, he... He hears these things. Well, I'll wait, I'll wait till you get there. Chapter 19 and verse 1, 2 Kings. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it, that is all these things, spoken by Rabshaken. I don't know how to say his name. I don't know how to say a lot of these biblical names. Rab, Rabshaken. Sheka, whatever, the commander, the field commander. It says, when he heard it, that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Then he sent Elakim, who was over the house, and Sheban, the scribe, and the elders of the priest, um, the elders of the priest, covered with sackcloth to Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amaz. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy, for the children have come to birth, but there is no strength to bring them forth. You know that picture, the labor has begun, you know, the baby's here, but there's no strength to deliver it. And he says, It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of Rabshankin, Shenka, however you say it, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. You know, guys, we don't see in Jeremiah chapter 21... When King Zedekiah, who by the way ended up in Babylon, when he got to Babylon, they gouged out his eyes. That's what happened to that guy. But we don't see King Zedekiah saying, I'm putting on the sackcloth, I'm mourning, I'm weeping. This is a day of rebuke. We deserve the things that are being spoken against us. We've done wrong. We don't see this. What we see is hey, Jeremiah, ask God if He might cut us some slack. Are you going to change, King Hezek- uh, uh, Zedekiah? you going to change? You're going to change your ways? You're going to repent? And ashes? You're going you're gonna to put on sackcloth? You're going to do anything? Nope. This reckless mentality of humanity is prevalent, you know. 9 11. I remember it so clearly. It seemed surreal. I had never, ever experienced anything like 9-11. The closest to 9-11 is when I was a little boy and I was standing in front of my uh, our black and white television set in Norwalk, California, watching cartoons, and it came upon the, the, the TV news break. President Kennedy, has been shot in Texas. And I remember as a little kid. And, you know, I don't think as a little kid I would have taken much interest uh, concerning the president, but John F. Kennedy, for Catholics, was a big deal. I mean, he was the first Catholic president, And, and Catholics really got behind John F. Kennedy. And, uh, you know, he was almost like a patriot saint in our home, <laughs> you know. And I just remember that sense of shock and, and concern. And, and, of course, you know, we didn't hear that he was killed at that point. It was just that he had been shot. And then, of course, later on that day, uh, the details came out that he did not survive the, the shooting. But 9-11, oh, by the way. See, I'm going to be controversial tonight. It's not like I'm never controversial, but 9-11. So I remember we get a phone call early in the morning. Someone from the church calls, uh, answered the phone, and they said simply, turn on the TV. Click. And I thought, oh, that's, you know. Turned on the TV, and of course, you remember 9-11. It didn't really matter what station you were on because they were all broadcasting the same thing. And I remember Tracy and I were watching it, and and we're, you know, we watched the first tower come down, and, and it's like, what is, you know, we're watching it live, you know, and, um, and it was, it's just so surreal, and I couldn't believe, and I, I remember feeling like, it was like a dream, it just didn't seem like this was happening, you know, across, you know, New York, across the country, the same country that I live in, you know, and it, it just seemed so surreal, and then I remember coming down here, and, uh, Jim Cutherson was here. We had a TV set set up downstairs here. And we watched it for hours, you know. And and as you're watching it, you're watching in in you know real time. You're watching, you know, now by then the towers both have come down. But, you know, a few hours later we see other buildings. You guys know the whole the way the whole thing went down, you know, and you're watching and you're saying, what in the world is going on? And I remember Pastor Chuck said something uh, that was so controversial at the time. He was asked on his radio program, I think, you know, Pastor Chuck, what do you think of 9-11? What what do you think of what's going on? And he simply said, I think it's God's judgment upon this nation. And oh boy, the phone lines lit up, and how dare you? Because, see, there's that, we don't deserve judgment. We are the red, white, and blue. We haven't done anything wrong, you know. I mentioned John F. Kennedy because I, I find it really, really interesting that um, here I am now, uh, my you know, 64 years old, and um, they're coming out and they're gonna supposedly release the papers, you know, the information that the CIA was involved in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. And for many of us, you know, growing up, we kind of suspected, you know, there, there's gotta be something else was happening there. It wasn't just this one fellow. There's too many things. And and of course, all the movies that came out and all the theories that came out, and, and uh, you, you guys have watched them all and, and stuff. Am I angering any of you? So anyway, but you, You look at, you look at these things, and maybe once you push your pride away and say, maybe we're not all that as a nation. Maybe a better approach as the world power on planet Earth, maybe a better approach rather than going in and um, supporting wars in different locations, or going to fight wars in different locations. Maybe a better approach would have been saying, you know what, you need to talk to your neighbor and try to get along with them, you know. I'm a cynical old man. What good came of Vietnam? That was a ward that I remember so clear. Growing up in San Diego, in San Diego, we had uh, in our neighborhood we had Marines from Camp Pendleton, and we had sailors, of course, from you know San Diego. There, we had officers; they were all officers. In our neighborhood, it was a little bit up upper scale neighborhood. When someone was going overseas to Vietnam. It was the buzz of the neighborhood. Back then it was a different time. Neighbors actually talked to each other. We actually knew all of the neighbors around us and we would talk to them and if they needed something, and you know, people would come over and borrow sugar just as an excuse to sit down and talk for a couple hours and drink coffee with your mom or or drink some beers with your dad or whatever, you know. I mean, it was just a different, different time. But I remember I remember, oh, I remember when the black car would come into our neighborhood. And it was a black car that was recognized. And in our neighborhood, all the kids, we played outside. We played street football. We So many kids in our neighborhood. And we just hung out and we played and everything. But when that black car pulled into a neighborhood and pulled in front of a house, mothers came out of their houses and they said, come in here. And all of a sudden, the street was like uh, a ghost town. Because our mothers understood what was happening. There was a wife, a Navy wife, or a Marine wife that was getting the word that her husband or her son was not going to be coming home. And you look at that, and I just think how horrible that was. We went in, we pulled out. What happened? The very things we wanted to stop ended up happening. Afghanistan. How long were we in Afghanistan? You would think if we're such a smart nation that we would have learned that Russia was in Afghanistan long before we were. And Af- Afghanistan, maybe they're not a, you know, a, a world power like the US, but they've got to be a close second or third. And they couldn't beat these Afghans? in their own country? And you guys have seen it in our, in our generation. President Biden decide we're done with Afghanistan. It served its purpose. Whatever, surface, whatever purpose that is. The point is, is that God sees the hearts of men. God sees the wicked dealings of the powers that be. And he holds nations responsible, oppressing the poor, not caring for the fatherless, or making people fatherless. The Lord sees that. And he'll hold nations accountable for their actions. But I look at the fact that after 9-11, there was this surge across America. People were going to church. Why? Why did people decide to go back to church or go to church for the first time after 9-11. And you heard about it. Again, this is a small community. We're a small church. We saw an an increase of people. We didn't see a huge, but some of the the churches that we were aware of, Calvary chapels, they had thousands of people, new people coming to their churches. And there was kind of what seemed to be at the time, it seemed as if there was a spiritual revival taking place after 9-11. Why? Well, it's because the people, maybe they were thinking, how could this happen to us on our own soil? How could this happen? Now, there's a lot of theories behind that whole thing as well, and I'm not going to go there, but I'm I'm just simply speaking of the reaction of the people. It got their attention. Once you get over the pride, we don't deserve this. We're a great nation. We could fight back. We could handle anything they throw at us. We have that same mentality today. For a time, people humbled themselves, seemingly. Sadly, it didn't last for many, and churches shrunk down to what they were before 9-11. After you know, a number of months, things kind of went back to normal. But for a time there, you know, <laughs> God seemed to get the attention of the nation. When you look at the scriptures and you look at what we're looking at here, you know, it's almost as if the Lord was saying, listen, Israel, your judgment is sealed. This is what I'm doing. In one sense, chapter 21 comes off as There's nothing you could do to stop this. It's coming. Brace yourself. You value your life? Wave the white flag. Surrender. You want to die? Take up arms and and try to fight. You won't win because not only are they fighting against you, I'm fighting against you. Okay. Okay. God is sovereign. God is outside of time. God knows what's going to happen, you know, (laughs) before it ever happens. So in one sense, it's not that we're seeing God speaking out of both sides of his mouth when he adds the if. If you'll turn, if you'll obey. He's simply just stating the fact. If you did this, if you repented, if you turned from your wicked ways, I would bless but it's sealed because I know you're not going to turn. See, it's not God saying you cannot turn. He's saying you will not turn. And I think that when you look at the scriptures, you know, we have an example here tonight. We have the, the our contrast. We have the contrast between King Zedekiah who wanted another to do his bidding. You go before God. You cry before the Lord. You ask the Lord. Maybe he'll be gracious to us. And you have King Hezekiah, who he, he himself. You know, it's like oh well, King Hezekiah, he was he was being threatened by the Assyrians. Do you remember the Assyrians in the days of Jonah? Do you remember when Jonah preached to them the reluctant prophet he, he preached to Nineveh? And uh, and remember it said, From the king to the livestock, they put on a, a, a sackcloth and they mourned. And this lasted for about 120 years, and then you get to the book of Nahum and judgment is coming again because people, you know, they have a tendency, oh, we're over it now, you know, we're not concerned about it. let's just go back to our evil ways. Because Nineveh, Assyria, these horrible people, Jonah didn't want to go there because they were so horrible. <laughs> They would pull the tongues out of people. They would cut off their heads and they would stack their heads up before their, you know, in front of their cities, like pyramids, so that people were just afraid to even approach these guys. We used to think these guys are animals. That's why Jonah said, I'm not going, I don't want to go there. Do you know what these people do? Why do we even have that recorded in the Bible? They're not covenant people, it's not Israel. I believe we have that in the Bible because God is saying I don't care who you are I don't care if you're in covenant with me like Israel or you're a godless heathen like the Assyrians if you heed my words and you repent I will show mercy Mm -hmm. Do do you see that And so, you know, no doubt that Zedekiah and Pasher and and all of that, they were probably thinking of the days of Hezekiah, and they were probably thinking, you know, hey, maybe the Lord will do that for us. Verse 5, so the servants of Hezekiah came to Isaiah, and Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, to the king, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid. Oh, that's the comforting words of the father. Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard with which the servant of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor to return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Do you guys remember what happened to him? His two sons killed him. Hey, Daddy, we got something for you. I'm done, but I want you to turn to verse 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people, that is 185,000 of the Assyrians. And when the people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Uh, Assyria departed and went away, no doubt, and returned home and remained in Nineveh until his sons killed him. Lord, would you help us as we look at the scriptures, Lord, to just not look at things at face value and then, you know, almost become the cynic? You know, Lord, well, you know, why wouldn't you do in King Zedekiah's day what you did in King Hezekiah's day? without recognizing the difference between the two men, the difference between the people, the acknowledgement of sin and and the error of their ways, the willingness to to make the changes that they want to make. We thank you, Lord, that there is grace upon grace for the person who truly seeks you, (laughs) loves you, we fail we fall we make poor decisions all the time but lord you tell us you know a righteous man though he may fall seven times And so lord thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy thank you that you're a loving father that corrects his children because you love us we pray father that we'd be mature enough to receive whatever word of correction you have for us